you know, this is an exciting time of the year. This is known as Passion Week. And there are 89 verses in the Bible, chapters in the Bible, that talk about the life of Christ. 85 of those chapters talk about the last three and a half years of Christ's life. And of those, 29 chapters talk about this week that we're celebrating today. 29, one-third. In fact, half of the book of John really is talking about the last week of Jesus' life. And it's called Passion Week for a reason. It's Passion Week because God did what He did because of His passion for you. Now, I don't know if there's anyone... Well, I do know. There is no one in here that loves me enough that you would allow your child to be sacrificed for me. How many say amen? Amen. That doesn't mean you don't love me, right? It just means that you're not going to give your child for me. In fact, there probably isn't anyone that you would give your child for. Would you agree? You might die for your child, but there ain't anybody. There's probably no one that you would give your life for, your child's life for. Here's the thing. God gave his life, his child's life for you, his son's life for you, because he's that passionate about you. And when that sinks in, your sometimes thick skull, how many say, I get you? then you're going to start thinking differently about the God who loves you and on a day-to-day -day basis, it may impact your decisions. Because this much is true. When you realize and you get a revelation of that kind of passionate love for you, you won't have a lot of fear. Because love chases away fear. The opposite of fear is God's love, is love. And so I want to talk about that a little bit to, in, this morning. You know, how many enjoyed the Seder? You went to Seder dinner and you enjoyed that. That's good. There's a reason we do that so we can kind of figure out what Passover was, why they celebrated Passover. We'll actually, in a week, I'll be in, uh, just over a week, I'll be in Israel filming for our small group campaign in the fall. And we're actually catching the latter part of Passover, which is the wrong time to go to Israel uh, if you want to stay away from crowds. And we're going there, and Passover is a big deal. And I, I can tell what Passover has really become is a holiday. And I think in our mind, when we think about this week in Easter, our minds are more set on what I'm going to wear and what I'm going to eat for Easter than it's really set on the purpose of why we celebrate it. Easter... Christ didn't die on the cross and go through the resurrection so that we could have another opportunity to eat a ham. Is that right? Christians, followers of Christ, don't miss the opportunity. Don't miss the opportunity. Don't waste your Easter's on what you're going to wear or eat when you have the opportunity to invite people to come and hear the message, the good news, because it's a holiday. I want to encourage you, this Easter, let it be different than every other Easter. Take a risk and invite people to come with you. It's so ingrained in you to just celebrate a holiday 
and let us do all the work. And nothing happens. We go from Easter to Easter to Easter to Easter. Let this Easter be a time where people's lives are changed because we all did it together. Can that be the case? You know, um, I'm going to preach a very simple message while I was sitting at a table studying in Phoenix this last week. About Easter, the Lord gave me two very simple points. And if I told you what they were, you'd just laugh. They're very simple. Don't come for a revelation on Easter. That's not why we're... If you're coming because you want to get a good word, you're coming to the wrong church. You're just going to hear the good news. Period. Simple message. If you don't bring people with you, I don't know what to tell you. Because we're not dancing monkeys up here just trying to tell you what you want to hear so you feel like you got a good word. If you want a good word, have a devotional life. Right? But we need to bring people to Christ. Would you agree? So just put your hand up and say, I'm going to do my best job. If, if this is, you know, I'm going to do my best job to put your hand up, hold it up as a pledge. I'm going to do my best job to invite people to come with me on Sunday morning and say, I will. Okay? Thank you. Because we're doing this together. We're doing it together. I, I just really, I just have this overwhelming thing we need to we need to rescue people that are walking through hell and there's no escape except for Christ do you believe that do you believe it like is it in your heart like I believe that Christ is a way for them they don't have to continue to walk through that it's more than just knowledge it is the power of God to set my marriage free it's the power of God to set health things free. I mean, I just, the more that, that I'm studying, even when we're in this small group, I'm studying, it's just like there's no reason for us to live below when God's called us to live be, beyond. Beyond. Beyond living, a pursuit of beyond living. So John 3.16 says this, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. I believe that wholeheartedly. It's passion week because he's passionate about you. Romans 5.8 says, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. 2,000 years before you were even born, God loved you. Say, I wasn't even born. I'm not 2,000 years old. I'm close. But I'm not 2,000 years old. No, you're not. But God knew you'd be here and he loved you even then. Even when you were making all those mistakes, God loves you. I, I, I've heard this one too many times. You hear it once, it's too many times. And it's really this, th you know how our own words judge what we really believe? I, I heard a believer when we were on this trip, he was a believer. He said, there's a special place in hell for a person like that. And then someone in response said, that person deserves everything they have coming to them. And something just went into me, yeah, that's the truth for all of us. There's a special place in hell for everyone in this room, and don't forget it, except for Jesus. Except Jesus said, not this one. Because, not because not because you were special, 
but because you got a revelation of his love and you said, I'll respond to that. To think, please, friends, Bethel's rock, people. Don't be those people that go out there and hate people and think you have a reason to hate them just because they did abortions. God love, don't hate what God loves. Don't hate what God loves. Don't hate what God is in love with. If I came and told you I hate your children, I guarantee you wouldn't like me very much. And yet, even in that, God loves you. There is a revel if you hate people, there's a revelation that God has for you. And you need it soon, because without knowing his love, you will struggle with fear. That's just for this campus for some reason. I, I just want you to know that God wants you to have a personal relationship with you. Not, wants to have a personal relationship with you, not a relationship through an intermediate. And unfortunately, in the American church today, too many believers are all caught up in wanting to get a word from their pastor than getting a word from God's mouth. God wants a personal, intimate relationship with you, and he wants to put the church back in order where it doesn't replace his relationship. It would be, it would be similar to this. Me telling you I have a personal relationship with Jack Nicholas because I know some, I have a personal relationship with someone who has a personal relationship with Jack Nicholas. Because you have a personal relationship with me or a, someone else that you know has a per, you do not have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ if the relationship you have is with someone who has a personal relationship with Christ. And in our minds, what does a personal relationship with someone look like? What does it look like? We have to ask ourselves, for me to have a personal relationship with God, with the King of Kings, with the Lord of Lords, what does it look like? For many people... For many people, they, they, they believe they have a personal relationship with God even though they never talk to Him throughout the week. Or if they do, it's a rote prayer. Come, Lord Jesus, be our guest and bless this food to us. Be blessed. Amen. How many used to pray that prayer? <laughs> like four of you. Those are all people who call the evening meal supper. <laughs> right? How many supper people in here? <laughs> we have to stop and really consider. Now, we overestimate what we do well or the things that are good, and we underestimate the things that aren't good. It would, I would not be doing my job if I didn't stop and call us in this Passion Week we have a passionate God that loves us with everything. And our response is to love him with what? All of our heart. 
It's the only thing God doesn't have. He gave you a heart. He gave it away. He gave you your heart for you to give it back. And to give your heart back passionately to Him. To be passionate toward Him. So this is Palm Sunday. And, and as I was thinking, I, I don't often, I'm in a series and I don't talk about Palm Sunday. But this year I wanted to talk about it more directly. There, there are two points. And the first one is the three truths about Palm Sunday. And the second one is understanding worship. But I, I want to start in John 12, 12. It says, the next day, great multitude that had come to the feast when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him. And he cried out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. Then Jesus, when he had found a young donkey, sat on it as it was written, fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt, on a baby donkey. It was interesting. There were th over 300 prophecies in the Bible predicting the coming of the Messiah. And we were in Israel in September. The Jewish God, guide, who is an unbeliever, doesn't believe Jesus was the Messiah, said, do you know why Jesus did all of these things? And I had heard it numerous times while we were there, and the guide that was with us prior said it, and now this new guide was telling us the same things. They keep saying, and it's a subtle thing, that he did it because it was prophesied. No, 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 no. There were prophecies because he did it. it. From the moment man sinned in the garden, this event this week had already been laid out. And the prophets of the Old Testament were prophesying about something that was going to happen without what he did. He didn't do it because they prophesied he had to do it. They prophesied that he was going to do it. Otherwise, it wouldn't have been a prophecy. Jesus fulfilled everything that was planned to be fulfilled when it was determined in the garden. Now, let me ask you this question. There are over 400 prophecies of the end time. How many believe that they're going to take place? Just like the ones of the first coming. If there were over 300 for the first coming, how many believe the prophecies of the end times is also going to take place? So stop freaking out about what you're seeing in the news. I mean, Christians get more worked up about one world order and currencies and all this stuff. Why? I want the Lord to come back, but I don't want any of the end time things to happen. <laughs> they have to happen. So rejoice, because we know where our, where our faith comes from. We know where our destination is. I'm not worried about the end times. Even when we see the signs, prophecy must be fulfilled. Zechariah says this in 9.9. Rejoice greatly, daughter of Zion. It says rejoice greatly. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you righteous and victorious. I love this. Your king comes to you righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey. <laughs> <laughs> That's not how I viewed, uh, like, righteous and victorious on a donkey colt. I mean, it, I mean you got to get a bit, this is funny, because this is Jesus, creator of the universe, right? In a bod, God in a bod. He's an adult male that's going to carry the cross. So he is a very strong man. I mean, this, this dude is a man, right? And 
and he comes in, not just on a donkey. He comes in on a donkey colt. I mean, it might as well have been a Shetling pony. His feet are probably dragging on the ground as he's coming in. And they're viewing, this is the king that's going to overcome the Roman Empire. <laughs> coming in and they're worshiping. It, did, it wasn't what they expected. So here are the three truths of Palm Sunday. One, they begin to proclaim, Hosanna, Hosanna, which means save us. Save us now, except in their mind, they, one, they recognized we need a Savior. I think if there's anything, before anyone can come to Christ, they need to recognize that I need a Savior, that I need Him. I think some of us were raised in the church. We were raised in Sunday. And, and maybe you're here, and, I, and usually in this time right now, most of the people in the room are believers, and I look around and I see most of your faces. Some of you have been raised in the church, and you were raised with good morals, and you were raised in good behavior, and you've done all of those things, and there was never a point in your life you kind of just became Christian. You were born into it. Much like a lot of Muslims and Buddhists and, and other people and other religious faith, you were kind of, you were just born into it. And, and maybe at some point in your life, you really said, yeah, Christ, come into my life. And you invited him in your life. And so you've been this Christian, but you have no relationship with God. Like, you know what you believe. You believe the principles God taught in the parables. You believe the truths. You say, I believe what he said. I believe that he's God and all of those. But you have no relationship with him because there was never a point that you came to where you said, God, I need a savior. I am not enough. I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I'm broken. I need a Savior. There were a whole lot of religious people in the days of Jesus that never felt they needed a Savior. And Jesus said, I am a physician, and I have come to those who know they need me. The religious leaders never believed they needed him. They lived the life. They fasted. They prayed. They did all of those things that religious people do. And if you looked at them at the surface, you would say, yes, they're believers. But there was nothing ever in them that said, Lord, save us now. Friend, this may shock you no matter how long you've lived. But if you've never come to the point where you realized your need of a Savior, you need to stop and ask yourself, do you see him as a Savior? If you sit here today and you go, listen, I can't go on a single day without him because I, without him, am going to fail. There's nothing in me that can overcome the things in my, the demons that are attacking my life in this day. I need a savior. I need a savior. I need somebody in my life. And, 
And when they were saying, save us now, save us now, Jesus was coming to do just that. Now, their need, what they wanted of him was to do more miracles and to get rid of the Romans and to do all those things because they felt that's what the Messiah was supposed to do. But we recognize that there are things in my life. Aren't there things in your life today you know you've been trying to overcome in your own willpower and you've been failing miserably? Why would you try when there's a Savior sitting right there saying, just come to me. But friend, don't, don't get offended by this. Don't let the enemy deceive you in this. Who are you to tell me whether I'm saved or not? I'm not here to tell anyone they're saved or they're not saved. I'm telling you, unless you've come to a place where you've recognized I can't live without a Savior, you'll never be able to love God the way those who realize they need a Savior love God. You say, well, where is that in the Bible? It's in there. If you think you've only been forgiven of 50, you will love them as being forgiven of 50. But if you've been forgiven of 500, you will love them all the more. I think many of us think, well, I'm a good person. There aren't any good people. No one is inherently good. Anyone who says we appeal to the inherent good of a person is a complete ignorant person. Fool. Because there is no inherent good in us. How many have discovered that? Oh, you can put on a good face, but without God living in us, Jesus himself said there is no good man. We need a Savior. And the Savior was coming into that city of Jerusalem, and he was coming to save not just the people who were worshiping in that moment because of the miracles they were doing that he did, but he was coming to save you in that moment. He rode that lowly donkey to save you. Hosanna. You know what? Just say this with me. Hosanna. 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 Save us, Lord. Save us, Lord. Save us, Lord. You know, when I worship the Lord, I'm saying, Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. I'm going to worship you, Lord, because I need you. There is this sense when we worship, we recognize that my life is what it is because a Savior came into my life. Because someone saved me from the guilt and shame, from the bondage of addiction. Someone saved me from the stain of sin and death. Someone healed my body, and that someone is Jesus. And I'm going to praise him. I'm going to lift him up. The second thing, truth of palms, is the fear not. John 12, 15 says, fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey colt. Throughout the Bible, we see fear not, fear not, fear not, fear not. Matthew 10, 31 says, do not fear, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. Fear can only operate in places where people are unaware of the love of God. Fear can only operate in places. If you have a fear in your life right now, it's because you don't have a full revelation of God's love for you. You say, well, I know God loves me. You need a revelation because knowing his love is you're never going to replace a revelation of his love. 
How many know what I'm talking about when I say that? Like, a, like there's a lot of things we know. We don't do it. We struggle until you get a revelation and you believe it, it changes. Because once you believe it, it's like, like, like it, it replaces knowing a revelation like I exist in it. I walk in it. I don't question it. I don't battle whether or not it's true or not. I don't wonder if my dad loves me. I don't wonder when I'm going through a trial, if, if I'm going through this trial where God is and why he doesn't love me like he loves us. I just know that I'm going through the trial, so I take joy in it because God loves me. Because of his love for me, I'm walking through what I'm walking through. The third truth of it is not as we expect. It's not as we expect. Rejoice greatly, daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See your king comes to you righteous and victorious, lowly on, and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the fowl of a donkey, the baby of a donkey. Uh, we have a guy in our Richfield campus, and he was there this morning. He's seven feet tall. His name is Jason Winchlock. He's a leading shot blocker at North Dakota State University. And he's seven feet tall. And, and I, I, I'd be like, imagine him riding a Shetling pony. The pony could probably ride him better than he could ride the pony. Right? It, it would be almost one of those things you put on TikTok, you know, that the Chinese would exploit. And, and then, <laughs> I'm kidding, I'm kidding. I don't know if that's true. But they put it on, that you would almost, everybody would like, it would go viral. Just, it, it would be that funny, right? And, and this is, here's a victorious king coming in on this, this donkey riding in. And, and really saying he humbly comes. It wasn't as they expect. God does a lot of things and, and it will happen in ways you didn't expect. It will come through ways in which you ex didn't expect. When Jesus was being who they wanted him to be, they gave him palms. But when Jesus was being who they needed him to be, they gave him thorns. When Jesus is doing everything we want him to do, it's easy to worship, worship him. We just, you know, we just worship, we worship, because he's, he's doing all of these things. But worship should never be determined by what's going on in our circumstances around us. Worship is the thing that carries us over the circumstances, whether they're good or not. Because when you know God loves you, you don't fear the things you're going to walk through because you understand that God helps you walk on everything you need to walk over. I worship Him. When I worship Him, I'm, what I'm doing is taking my attention from the circumstances and I'm placing it on him and his love. And when we don't worship him, I spend all my energy worshiping the problem than worshiping him. You know, and, and we'll talk about this a little more. Look at, here's the second point, understanding worship. Luke 19, 36 to 40 says, As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. And when he came near the place uh, where the road goes from the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in, in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. 
Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd told Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples because they're like, People shouldn't be worshiping you. You're just a man. They didn't know who he was. Jesus says, I tell you, he replied, If they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. The stones are going to cry out. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm not going to let this cement floor cry out in my place. There ain't no stone, there ain't no rock going to praise in my place. There ain't no rock going to praise the Lord in my place. How about you? I don't think we realize God is going to be praised whether you praise him or not. Even if creation rises up and praises him, and it does every day, it praises him when it fulfills the purpose for which it was created. We were created to worship him. You and I were created to praise him. And we all worship something. Here's the, the thing I think miss, most of us miss. Your worship does not decrease and it doesn't increase. It just transfers. You will never worship more or less than you already worship. But you're going to worship different things more or less. And when we're worshiping God, God says, give me your worship. We give him worship. Seek first him. When we seek him first and we give him our first worship and we give him our best worship, everything else falls into order. You say, well, how do I know what my best worship is? Where your treasure is, there your heart is. What's your treasure? Your time, your energy, your money, your abilities. Where you invest that, where you put it, where you give it is where your heart will find it. Your heart follows that treasure. And so when I come into the house of God to worship him with my voice, that is really an expression of how I'm worshiping on the outside with all of the things in my life. When I serve, the way I treat people, I'm worshiping God and all of those things. And when I come into the house of God, my expression of praise to him is just an expression of what I've been doing all week long. Because I love him, because of he, he first loved me. Now, I'm going to ask you a question, and I don't mean this to be offensive, and I don't want people to get offended with this or any of that, so you all heard that. I just prefaced it. But wives, if, if, if your husband said, you know what, so-and-so at work called me today and said we, he wants to play golf on Friday night, and we could go play, and I know we have a date, but I really want to go do that. How many wives are sitting there thinking, well, I feel like you're worshiping me right now. Right? Some of you wives are thinking, well, I'll say yes, but he better know that's a no. <laughs> How many guys in here know what I'm talking about? Like, yeah, I know. There are yeses that are not yeses. <laughs> and you better learn to tone. <laughs> It, the, the reality is, it, a lot of times, we have no problem finding time to watch an episode on Netflix. But somehow, say, God, I just don't have the time to spend with you. But I worship God. I'm worshiping the Lord. 
I got it all down, Pastor. Don't worry about me. Worship is our response to what we value most. Whatever I worship, watch this. You're going to see this this kind of like a a pattern. Whatever I worship becomes an obsession. So I start worshiping a team. I'm a sports fanatic. Isn't it interesting? On Saturday, if you get excited and jump and cheer, they call you a fan. But on Sunday, if you do it, they call you a fanatic. I don't ever want to do that. I'm worried about what people think. Well, you do it on Saturday, and you don't care about what people think, and you're taking your shirt off, and you should never do that. Because people are thinking a lot of bad things when you do that. But you don't care because it's your team. And you don't do that on Sunday morning, praise the Lord. In fact, it's worship when you keep your shirt on. How many know what I'm talking about? You get excited on Sunday morning. That makes me uncomfortable, but I'm not uncomfortable when people are jumping and screaming and getting drunk on a Saturday watching a game. Don't let the devil deceive us. Whatever I worship becomes an obsession. Whatever I become obsessed with, I imitate. And whatever I imitate, I become. Whatever I worship becomes an obsession. Whatever I become obsessed with, I imitate. Whatever I imitate, I become. Jack Hayford said this, Worship changes the worshiper into the image of the one worshipped. Why do I need to worship? Because I want to be like God. You know, it's, it's an interesting thing because God is actively looking for worshipers. He's actively looking for worshipers. We have a dog. His name is Murphy. And I've said this before. Many of you know this. It's a stated fact that I, I, you know, Maltese's are pretty dumb dogs. I value affection more than I value intelligence in my dogs. Right? I don't need a smart dog. I need a dog that loves me. Right? How many just want something to love you at, at some points? You know, when you feel the world, you just need. And so, but when, when Murphy's gone, or when we're gone, and it's quite often we're gone, uh, Murphy won't eat. Murphy won't eat. And uh, so Bailey, or the Tagupersads who've watched Murphy a, a number of times, uh, the, the, uh, Bailey, Bailey's fiance will try to feed him one kibble at a time. Because he goes into a state of depression when we're gone. And if I'm being honest, I kind of like knowing that. Because <laughs> he loves me that much that when I'm not there, he's depressed. Like it affects his emotional state. He loves us that much. And, 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 and dogs, dogs are interesting. Like when you're gone and then, then you come back, that... That like Murphy, he when he sees us, he gets the big smile on his face, his tail starts away, and he's jumping. And, and the use of worship in this passage is kiss the hand. He kissed the hand, which is this symbol of worship. And he licks, and Heather picks him up, and he's licking her face, and she's talking for him, telling her, telling, you know, because he doesn't speak English, she's telling us what he's saying and thinking. And, and, uh, and it just makes him more affectionate because he says such great affectionate words. And you're hugging him, and, 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 you're, and he's jumping, and he's happy, and he's running around. They're home, they're home. The hunger strike's over. You know, a cat... 
I can't just as oh brother, they're back again, you know. They go and they're like, oh, I was having a great time, you know, until you showed up, right? They think you were created for them. That's a cat. But it really does relate a lot to how we worship. There are people who are cat worshipers. Not only you don't worship cats, but you worship like a cat. Oh, I've got to worship you again. i got better things to do. Thanks for saving me of my sins so I don't have to die and go to hell. But, but, but God wants us to be dog people who worship like a, a, like a Murphy. Who when they, like God's presence is like, oh yeah, yeah, God's here. We're excited. I'm in church this morning. It's a good day. I get to worship God today. We get to worship God today. All the cats over in that section, all the dogs over here. If you're sitting next to someone that's just a drag to worship, move seats. Get next to people who are excited to be in the house of God, to praise God because they realized that I was once a sinner, but I, I met a Savior. He changed my life. Mark 12, 28 says this, Oh, hear, O Israel, the Lord our, our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and strength. I'm going to give you these three quick points. Here's one. God wants us to worship him with all our affection. Psalms 150, 1 through 6 says, Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him in, for his acts of power. Praise him for the surpassing greatness. Praise him with the sound of the sounding of the trumpets. Praise him with the harp and lyre. Praise him with timbrels and dancing. Praise him with strings and pipes. Praise him with the clash of cymbals. Praise him with resounding cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Right? I got breath inside of me and I'm going to praise God. And there ain't no rock going to praise in my place. Why? Because I know what God has done in my life. There's a military base, Camp Lejeune. You've heard it about all the water. I think they got some financial problems now. But it's an Air Force base in North Carolina. And it's right by a highway. And there were problems because when the airplanes would take off, there was a sonic boom and it would freak people out on the highway when you're not expecting it. So they put a billboard up to warn people. And this is what the billboard said. Pardon our noise. It's the sound of freedom. There's something about freedom. When we've experienced freedom, freedom is not getting out of addiction. Freedom is running into what God has called us to. Freedom is not the absence of something, it's the presence of someone. God wants us to give, us him, give him his attention, or God wants us to give, us, give him our affection. Secondly, God wants us to worship with our attention. He wants our attention. He wants us to acknowledge his presence in our life. We worship him when we just say, good morning, God. The first words out of my mouth, I wake up and say, good morning, God. It's going to be a good day. It's amazing how when you acknowledge God's presence from the first moment you awaken, how your day can change. 
Like, I'm not going to walk through hell, and I'm not going to walk through heaven on earth without God. And if I walk through whatever it is I'm going to walk through, I'm going to walk beyond those things, above those things when I'm with him. Here's the third one. God wants us to worship him with our abilities. When we serve God, we are living sacrifices. Do you believe that? Will you stand? Everything that has breath, praise the Lord. Here, here's the thing. I, I so, so badly want to communicate, and yet inside of me, I fully comprehend that the only way this is going to impact anybody is if it's a revelation, and only God can communicate this to the depth of your heart. I'm not here to judge whether you're a believer or not. That's not, that's not what I'm trying to do. I'm here to open up this door to recognize, do you realize how much you need a Savior? Not just the day you gave your life to Christ, but today when I woke up this morning, I needed a Savior to save me from some of the bad decisions I'd make without Him. Like I live in the constant need of a Savior that didn't just come to do one event on a cross 2,000 years ago and die and give me life, but He said, I'm going to come and live inside of you and I'm going to walk with you. And I have to, when I acknowledge that He is the Savior, I acknowledge that I need to be saved, then I'm more likely to be obedient to what the Savior is telling me. And right now, for some in this room, obedience is a big deal. There's some in this room, your marriage is horrible because you're a rebellious person. And the spirit of rebellion is operating in your life and God is in there wanting to kick it out, but you got to say, okay, God, I need you to deal with this in my heart. You say, well, I, I just don't want to admit I'm a rebellious person because that, that's just bad. Friend, everybody knows you are. Jesus came in on a donkey full, humbly. If Jesus was humble, why would you think that pride is going to help you at all? Every good and perfect thing is going to come through humility. It comes to the point of recognizing, thank you, God, for revealing something in me. I invite you to come and to speak into this area of my life. Are you with me this morning? But when you realize, God, I need a Savior, then you'll come to a point of, I can't. You're, in fact, you're sitting there right now going, Pastor, just shut up so I can worship him. Just shut up. I want to worship. I just feel something in me wanting to praise him. Do you feel that right now? Just saying, I just want to praise him. If you want to dance a little bit, just kind of down, you know, you just your feet want And you say, why, why do you got to do that, Pastor, with your body? Because God wants me to worship in spirit, soul, and body. My body's going to, if the cement can praise the Lord, why can't my body praise the Lord? Right? Will you do that right now? Will you just say, God, I praise you. I praise you. I praise you right now. I'm praising you right now. Lord God, I worship you, Lord. 